0: going. Welcome to Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with musicians about songwriting and the creative process. My name is Mike, and our guest for this one is Willie Carlisle, here to talk about his most excellent record, Peculiar Missouri. Before we talk about Willie and what a great guest he was, a brief interlude to pitch my latest little project. Now that everyone and their children have officially started podcasts, I've decided to jump on the next trend in music nerddom, the email newsletter. For some reason, filling people's inboxes with semi-coherent rants on a regular basis is popular now, and I can be semi-coherent with the best of them, so I am in. My once-per-month newsletter is called, Hey, How's It Going?, and let me first point out that it is free and well worth every penny. In it, you will find a few music-based recommendations, new artists, albums, Songs, videos, books that you might not have noticed on your own. I also take the opportunity to present a short essay on vaguely music-related topics that interest me. Long-time listeners to the podcast may recall a few of these that I included in introductions to past episodes, assuming you weren't too quick with the skip-ahead button. Or maybe you have attended a show here at Tell You What Studios and been mesmerized by my introductory talks. The good news for you skip-aheaders and showgoers is I don't have to clog these introductions with my ramblings anymore, as the newsletter provides that service. And with the newsletter, you get the essays in virtual printed form. You can refer back to them forever. Helpful for settling arguments, helping your kids with their homework, the use cases here are almost infinite. And it is easy to sign up. we will take about 17 seconds. We have tested and confirmed this here at Tell You What Labs. You can do this signing up at our website, tellyouwhatpodcast.com, or just drop me an email at tellyouwhatpodcast@gmail. at gmail. Since it is so easy, just, you know, go ahead and humor me and sign up. You don't even have to actually read it. But if you do, I predict you will find something interesting. I'm just saying. I will allow you to pause this podcast and take the 17 lab-tested seconds to sign up right now, in fact. And if you do find you like the newsletter, please pass it along to a music friend or encourage them to sign up themselves. Okay, back to Willie Carlisle. I saw Willie perform last fall at the Folk Alliance Conference in Kansas City, and I found him to be a highly entertaining performer, but also an intriguing character, and really wanted to get him on the show. He is on the road almost all the time, so it was a bit tough to find the moment, but with the help of a couple members of his team, Devin Legere at Hearth Music and Ellie Newman at Lightning Management, we eventually got together. So big thanks to Devin and Ellie. As I was preparing for this conversation, I hit upon the idea of changing up the format somewhat from my usual approach. Willie's record, Peculiar Missouri, is really great, and one of its defining features is that it is filled with a variety of song styles. There are waltzes, talking blues, trucker songs, poems set to music, traditional folk songs, and so on. As I listened, the variety of these songs each brought up questions and concepts I wanted to cover with Willie. So we dive into the songs right out of the gate in our conversation and use them as springboards for covering the many interesting facets of Willie's creative life and his approach to his art. I really love this conversation, and I think many of you will too. Willie is an absolute delight and has many fascinating insights to offer. I have to add, we did face some technical difficulties with Willie's internet service. He dropped out of the recording several times. Fortunately, we were able to recover and continue. But at one point, Willie was in the middle of an epic rant about the history of poetry throughout civilization when his line just dropped. You will hear him talking about the ancient Egyptians, and the next thing you hear is him saying, Oh man, where was I? There was actually about five minutes of us fussing around getting going again before he came back with that. I decided to leave in the poetry rant, even though Willie was unable to actually finish his point. Because his voice sounded like poetry itself to me, so full of energy and emotion, it was worth leaving it in for that alone. Anyway, the rest of our conversation was luckily basically unmarred. As Willie mentions, he's going out on a big headlining tour soon, so look for him at a venue near you. He is such a great entertainer, you will not be disappointed. And keep an eye out for his next album, which Willie sounds pretty excited about. All right, everybody take a breath and enjoy this fun Tell you what discussion with Willie Carlisle. I don't know, but I heard that there is more. honey, knocking on the door. All right, Willie Carlisle, welcome to Tell You What the podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you for having me,
1: Mike. I'm happy to be here. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you're coming to us from uh, your your home in, in in Arkansas, right? You're on a break from touring currently. Do I have that correct?
1: Yeah, um, about, uh, I've had about a month. I'd call it a month off, but actually I've been, I've been doing exactly what we're going to talk about today. I've been writing songs. So
0: it's been mostly working. I'm glad that's on your mind then. You toured a lot last year after the very successful release of your record, Peculiar Missouri. Was it much different for you on this tour, playing to maybe bigger rooms to folks who were familiar with your songs all over the country? Must have felt pretty good. <laughs> you know, I, uh, it, felt,
1: it felt amazing. I, there is nothing like, well, okay, the whole thing is amazing. I love my job. I'm so glad I get to say that. Um, it is different to play for rooms full of people that know the songs already Especially just being able to lock eyes with somebody that knows every word to a song, and it's like that. I don't even know all the words to this. Like this is contextual <laughs> memory, right? I'm going to mess this up in a second. I don't know. Um, was it different? Yeah, there were a lot more people, um, but for me, the joy was is really really similar. It was great to get some recognition, but on some there are some things I miss. Like I kind of miss having a room full of people that don't know who you are uh turn their heads and be like "Ooh, i like that (laughs) you know or really try to get them um but uh, there's also those people that's the that's actually the person i try to lock in with the most is who is it in here that doesn't know me at all and if i can make them smile
0: it's like I'll then I'll know I've done my job tonight. I've earned their ten dollars or whatever. Well, we're gonna we're gonna get back to talking about life life performance a little later. But we were talking earlier, and this break is gonna end, and you're heading out on a on a headlining tour soon. Is that correct? Yeah, it'll be my first headlining tour, and uh, it's God, it's all over the Midwest
1: and uh, and over much of the, of the South. Over and down to Texas, and over to Colorado. I'll be doing a little bit of opening for uh, Sierra Farrell. Oh, nice. I'm really stoked on those shows. And then I'll be bringing along another great songwriter, uh, Willie T. Taylor,
0: and uh, Adim the Artist uh, with me on that run. That's a great lineup, and folks can see those dates on your website, I'm assuming? Mm Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Excellent. All right, so... I want to take a different approach to this, to this discussion than I normally might. As I was preparing, I was having a hard time picking out just three or four songs from your record to discuss in the last portion of the talk, as we usually do here, um, because a lot of your songs brought up interesting questions or topics I wanted to, to, to talk to you about. So, how about we do this instead? Instead of waiting till later to talk about the songs, we'll just dive in now work our way through the songs using them as kind of guideposts for our discussion and see where that takes us. I'm here for it. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> we may fail spectacularly, but but we'll be doing this together. All right. Um, I'm in the boat. All right. <laughs> All right. So first I'm going to try a brief and likely highly inaccurate summary of your earlier years to get us to where I want to get the conversation. You were brought up hearing folk and bluegrass music in your homes in Kansas and Illinois. At college, you get a guitar, play in a punk band, get a banjo, start to explore the traditional and folk music of the United States. You end up in graduate school studying and teaching poetry in the Ozarks in Arkansas. Is this close enough? Yeah. Uh-huh. Great. So this leads me to the song, Down and Back. In Arkansas... As I understand it, you start to become interested not just in folk music, but in folklore, in the culture surrounding musical traditions, including square dance. So this song, Down and Back, I believe is inspired by square dance calling, am I correct? Yeah, it is. Great. Can you talk about exploring the cultures and communities involved in traditional music, maybe specifically square dances and what you took from it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. 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 Square dancing for me was this incredibly empowering way of knowing community that is before the internet, that's before, uh, you know, I was the kind of kid that was likely to find their their the majority of their peer group in a small town, uh, you know, from the internet or something like that. But square dancing was this radical, like, upturn of that idea. It's a potluck. Uh, it's a, you know, it's a pie contest sometimes. It's a... It's a way to hold everybody's hand, it's a work exchange, it's um, how's your mom and them, it's everything. And these sorts of gatherings were still happening in the Ozarks, and they still are. And um, they became a really essential way, of the way that I wanted to know people and get to know myself. I first encountered them when I was in Illinois, and uh, somebody invited me to one, and I didn't know if it was a date or not. I had so much fun, it didn't matter, right? I'd only ever been to... i have been to punk concerts and done a bunch of moshing and, and uh, stuff like that, but I hadn't ever had the kind of dances where, you know, you bump into a person in their 70s um, and you don't knock them down, but they know the move better, so they hold you up. It was, <laughs> it was you know, as a punk you don't have elders. You're literally like, you know, you're like, fuck the police, fuck my parents, <laughs> right? Right. But in square dancing, it was like, oh, hey, this guy's like, I'm going to get to go out to this guy's farm and do some interesting work. Or like, I'm going to get to learn some cool fiddle tunes uh, that are in the, just like punk music, very difficult to listen to, um, but very engaging. Uh, you know, people talk about grindcore uh, drumming, they need to listen to the double up bow, uh, the round peak regions fiddle playing. Uh, or the Virginia Shuffle, uh, the Ozark region. I guess what I mean is it is is it's touching the same elephant, right? Yes. It was partially that I was looking for that. Um, I was looking for like a some kind of, of community I could think of as as home or, or find some comfort in, because I, I didn't enjoy um, a lot of the aspects of of going to college. I went to a little you know I think it this gets overstated sometimes because I am I am educated and I do feel lucky about that and that is that is privilege. don't get me wrong. I also just boy when I showed up to liberal arts colleges so that I could escape uh, troubling small town psychosexual and in human dynamics and a conservative mindset that I found pretty limiting to me personally. Uh, I immediately was dropped into the basket of a bunch of lawyers and uh, doctors' children and people that I didn't understand. So I went back to the root. It was like, let's let's go fucking square dancing. Let's go. Yeah. Let's uh, let's find. Let's make a punk band with the other kids that got that with these guys that got laid off from the Maytag plant. Uh, let's hang out in town. Yeah, we're gonna go to our class on Walt Whitman, but I'm showing up high. You know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that's a long answer, but the, the yeah. moment I got to Arkansas, I saw that this community was alive. It wasn't just revivalists, it was people that learned from their great grandparents. And um, that, I feel like our history is not something that we always have access to. So the down and back is, is to, to cut myself off here, the down and back is a square dance call, basically. I was kind of like, well, let's just make a square dance call that's a song. And uh, the only difference is an actual square dance call might be a little more instructive.
2: Well, why don't you cut all the timber mine, all the coal? Well, oh, half of West Virginia is a fishing hole. Big mama sitting on a piglet in a pan. You can't get to heaven in a big black fence. Oh, I'm jack that jack. Till my money, money comes back, down on the down and down and back, I'll be right here till my money comes back. I'll vanish in the woods without a damn trace, I'll never forget, oh, what's your space? Small town gossip, a the like god, fish, cut bait, spare me the rod, whoa, I'm all that jack. Till my money comes back, down on the down and down and back, I'll be right
0: here till my money comes back. Did you end up
1: calling square dances yourself? Yeah, it's, it's actually probably what I do best in the world. Um, I wish that I could just be a square dance caller.
0: Well, can you talk about what skills are involved in that and, and maybe how it makes it, those skills make their way into your performance now? Well, when I was a kid, I used to like to memorize poetry and songs for fun.
1: I would kind of recite to myself like for comfort. I used to take a lot of long walks and I would sing songs that I knew. I would sing and, and recite to myself a lot as a kid. I think that kind of brain really helped, you know, that, uh, helped me get that, that kind of thing done, but the skill, I guess the skill set involved would be being able to recite a lot of things really quickly and then basically knowing your left from your right. It's not hard. (laughs) Um, the, I like to focus on patter because I find that to be the funnest to memorize. Some people just say circle to the left. Now everybody dive under your outstretched arms of the person to the left of you. And they're really, really literal. I like yes. to go out man left to your left hand is back to your partner right and left grand hand over hand and heel over heel. The more you dance, the better you feel hand over hand and foot over foot. The more you score, dance, the better you look. So on. And uh, add in the jokes uh, and
0: the, the kind of material. Yeah, that's awesome. All right. So at this point in our story, you are studying and teaching poetry. Eventually you decide on music instead, but let's back up and talk about poetry for a minute. The song in question here is Buffalo Bill. In this song, you have set the poetry of E.E. Cummings to music. I often like to ask songwriters to compare and contrast poetry and songwriting. You seem like a good target for this question. You can take this in any direction you like, either from, say, an academic standpoint about the technical differences between poetry and song lyrics, or maybe more personally from your own creative process, how you have approached lyric writing versus poetry writing and how you see them kind of side by side. Well, so... Buffalo Bill was a poem I liked for a long time,
1: and I was teaching a class at the community college. For anybody that thinks being a, a visiting adjunct instructor is uh, a big shot, you get paid a lot less than I got paid for uh, being fired from construction sites and stuff like that. It really, t- I can't. I can't. I, the reason I like to, over, <laughs> to overstate that is because sometimes I think somebody thinks that reading for a living is a is like a, a lauded position, Ooh boy. But I was teaching a class, and that poem just happened to be in a bad textbook. I've been singing poems my whole life. When I teach a world literature class back in the day, I used to like to say, look, there's just no difference between poetry and songs. It's just the way that we think of it. Uh, this might be, <sighs> poetry as we understand it now has only existed for a couple hundred years, right? hadn't existed for very long and it has to do with a literary tradition that excluded most ordinary people that to me is not a literary tradition that's a that's like a that's like the bourgeoisie that's the that's the people with all the money being like we have our set of knowledges up here but there's a lot of people that that isn't going to go to because we think that regular people aren't don't don't matter and don't understand and need to and it's okay for them to be working in a salt mine uh, we're working on a steam engine while we begin to foster this literary tradition that has nothing to do with them. Well, the human spirit has been feeding itself based upon its own energy for many thousands of years longer than we've had written poetry, right? Uh, the first written down poem in the English language is a hymn. Uh, the ancient Egyptians uh, thought that their hieroglyphs had actual magic powers that by speaking the word... Where the That's heck was,
0: was I? God. You were talking about poetry being an elitist recent phenomenon and for thousands of years people have been the common people have been expressing themselves in their own way
1: so as far as like the difference between poetry and songwriting uh i mostly just think it's bs and that any song can be a poem and any poem can be a song and the rest is up to aesthetics and i do recognize that including a sonic element does change things but um, we have to write towards music, it, and and that that to me is really is really beautiful. There are people that just speak musically who I would struggle to not call poets. I there's actually I've been thinking a lot about um, a man that I knew, Uncle Dave, and Uncle Dave used to say it at prayer at the at the dinner table, he used to say, "Forgive us where we fail you," and uh, I just love the way he accented that phrase the. (laughs) I just thought it was a beautiful piece of poetry that he'd come up with uh, that he'd come up with that is a prayer (laughs) yes Um, I like writing songs and poems Uh, sometimes sometimes something does feel more suited to be read than sung but also with a song like Buffalo Bill that's kinda me saying hey we can we can do this Um, why not I, I put it to a that banjo is a 19th century style banjo, and so I wanted to put a 21st century poet talking about the uh, attractiveness of a 19th century genocidal civil war general and set it to the tune and timber of a uh, America's weirdest most colonized instrument. <laughs>
2: Oh, Buffalo Bill's defunct Who used to ride a water-smooth stallion And break one, two, three, four, five Pigeons just like that Oh, Jesus, he was a handsome man And what I want to know is Tell me, how do you like your blue-eyed boy, Mr. Day? Tell me, how do you like your
0: blue-eyed boy, Mr. Day. Next song up, Goodnight Loving Trail. It's the cover of a song by Utah Phillips, who I think you consider to be a musical hero of yours. Can you tell us something about Utah Phillips, why he is important to you, and important to what you are trying to do as a songwriter yourself? Yeah, Phillips was an anarchist folk singer.
1: After the Korean War, um, I believe that he kind of became a a drunk and a 'er ne'er-do-well, and um, he kind of found salvation through some radical halfway houses and um, began to uh, write these songs he'd already been writing a lot of songs but he never really abandoned a pretty radical political viewpoint he sang a lot of songs from the the iww from the international workers of the world this is back when people were you know fighting for child labor laws and um to make sure that the black lung didn't kill people by the time they were 30. he was singing those songs in the 1960s and 70s and 80s right so he was already a revivalist Mm -hmm. but he talks about this idea, I can't get out of my head, this great river of history, that when we actually discover the history of real uh, people, not just the history of kings and conquerors, that we have access to this thing that can purify our mindset, this long line of uh, strong and intelligent and capable people. As somebody that sometimes doesn't feel strong or intelligent or capable, uh, hearing that you could find that in your own background in your own backyard it was really empowering so yeah I, I love that song goodnight loving trail because it's about a cook on a wagon train it's not um it's not marty robbins uh talking about a big iron on the hip it's not western music right it's not soundtrack music right. it's man i'm a cook on a wagon train and i am pissed off right
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you're too old to wrangle a
2: ride in the swing, you beat the triangle, you curse everything. If dirt were a kingdom, brother, you would be king. On the good night trail, on the lovin' trail. Your old woman's lonesome tonight, and your French heart blows like a lowballing cap. It's a
0: wonder the wind don't tear off your skin. Get in there and blow out the light. Well, I think this is a good segue into our next, next song and our next question, because we've been talking about musical traditions. I want to bring up the song "Life on the Fence." Here we have a song about a closeted, queer man and his struggles. So with this song in mind, how do you see your place as a songwriter in the folk music tradition? A lot of which revolves around handing down and preserving old songs. Can you talk about bringing new songs into this lineage, particularly maybe songs like this one? I guess specifically a question might be, do you see this song as continuing the folk tradition of exploring the issues of the common man or maybe you're trying to stretch boundaries here and use the form to make more of a statement? Oh, man.
1: Um... The direct answer to the question, I guess, would be that I always see things as a continuation. When I began that, I had been listening to Patrick Haggerty, uh, the late Lavender Country's great queer country song, Crying These Sucking Tears. And um, I was also thinking about um, Patsy Cline and uh, Dolly Parton. And how this kind of two generations of women um, had written songs that were a lot of times designed to shock. Actually, shoot, not Dolly Parton. I'm thinking of uh, Loretta Lynn, damn it. <laughs> Pardon me. Uh, Loretta Lynn uh, with The uh, the Pill, uh, Fist City. And uh, songs that were kind of shocking at the time. Um, boy, forgive me, Loretta if uh, she's looking down on me. <laughs> well, we're going to edit this anyway, so don't worry well, about good. it. Well, <laughs> good. Um, so I was thinking about about Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline and, and female songwriters that, that occasionally would do things that would be shocking to an audience. And then I was thinking about Patrick Haggerty, uh, who that song begins with this brash phrase, I'm fighting for when there won't be no straight men because they've all got a common disease. Mm. So... Uh, you know, Jason Isbell waits until the third verse to punch you directly in the gut, right? Right. Patrick does it instantaneously because that man did not give a damn if you liked him or not, right? Mm-hmm. Um, And uh, I didn't want to do that gut punch at first, but I got, I got to thinking, what would be my version of this? And I guess it'd be my own lived experience, um. I do not want to be like typecast as a queer country artist. It happens sometimes, and I'm okay with it. Uh, really, what you know, what I am is like we all are as a human being, and I want to be able to write about all aspects of that experience. And right. uh, I also think that it's a good song because of that. I also know a bunch of people that like uh, the pill and Fifth City, uh, who are um, you know uh, pro life and would never punch anybody.
2: He's calling me up He's sure I might love him I'll only answer when I'm drunk to the least We talk about Memphis Living so rough that The strength in his voice makes me weak at the knees Not sure what I saw For I looked in his eyes We ain't star-crossed Just cause stars find a line Ain't proper high lonesome, though no, it's almost too sad to be true. But what happened in Memphis made too much sense. There's a part of my life she don't know exists. Why is living a lie more easy than life all in the
0: a conflict between embracing preserving celebrating tradition while at the same time trying to fight to open minds and change some of the paths that we're on
1: yeah and i live there and i like it there um Hmm. i can't say i'm comfortable there all the time yeah uh that's a tough one yeah when i listen to uh, living out in the country and listening to Sometimes the only thing available is the radio. You know, we've had trouble on the Internet here just this afternoon. Uh, I believe that uh, there has been a a great division campaign that has been perpetuated by a very specific kind of media, and that that is is happening at the same time as a great surge in information availability and also like uh, an identity-based kind of freedom. Uh, in more uh, liberal, populated, and uh, uh, accessible communities. Here's what I'll say about that, though. I have never been more welcomed than in the homes of people um, that uh, would classify themselves as conservatives. I have never Mm -hmm. known anybody more willing to, one, say something incredibly rude to somebody, what I would call incredibly rude, and then give them $100 and the shirt off their back either. Um, Yeah. I don't mean to commit both sidesism, um, which to be totally clear, uh, if you can't tell by by my lingo, um, uh, I'm not even a liberal; I'm a leftist, right? And uh, I, I, there's a, a a lot of mainstream conservatism in terms of uh, Republican politics. I find absolutely abhorrent. But uh, as far as person to person goes, I believe everybody is uh, is quite capable of. Of uh, loving and respecting lots of human beings and that that is exercised far more readily than the media would have us believe in my lived
0: experience and and watching the experiences of others that's great okay I want to talk about live performance we hit on this very briefly at the beginning let's dig in a little more you do a lot of touring playing live seems very important to you song I bring up here is your heart's a big tent I saw you perform last fall at the Folk Alliance Conference in Kansas City. We were in a conference room in the early <laughs> evening. It had weird lighting. Do you remember this? <laughs> Boy, I do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. you're laughing because it was a little weird. The audience was a mixed bag of like industry people, old folkies, fellow musicians. And you played this song, Your Heart's a Big Tent, very early in the set. It's a sing-along. I got the sense at that point people weren't quite sure what to make of you. But you got us all singing along by the end of the song. And certainly by the end of the set, we were all on your team. So with that in mind, can you talk about what live performing means to you? And are you kind of, we, you did hit on this earlier. Let's hit it again. Are you kind of reading the room as you play, getting the vibe of the room? It seems like you were almost kind of challenging that crowd I was in at the time. So so what do you have to say about all that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, I always, <laughs> always got to keep a, just a little bit uh, you know, just keep a little bit of piss and vinegar in me, keep, stay a little bit pissed (laughs) off and, and be a little bit confrontational with crowds. I love that kind of thing. That was a weird room. And, um, but look, all rooms are weird, right? All these rooms are, we're all, it's full of weirdos all the way down. It's turtles, turtles all the way down in terms of weirdos. (laughs) And, and you never know what you're going to get. And even if everybody's on your side, you still like. You know, um, we still are all there to grow and experience something together. I love performing because, uh, you know, you get to be a conduit for a room full of of emotional possibilities. Right? Um, everybody brings their own uh, their own baggage and their all, also their own capability of joy. Everybody's trying to have the best night they can. It's a it's a hopeful environment. Uh, I also think it's something we get deprived of. We don't as far as you know people being like wondering if they should do a sing-along right at at a place like at a in a room full of folkies it's like i'll be like you guys put up or shut up will you do it or won't <laughs> you right uh, yeah. but in a room that doesn't know me it's like hey why don't we see if this feels good you know and if it doesn't feel good you're not really gonna hurt my feelings it's okay mm. and if it doesn't feel good don't do it but if it feels good you know let somebody let it feel good for somebody else you know be the first person to dance at the wedding give yourself that opportunity to see if that's something that you that you like or if it gives you good energy um, I feel like we used to do that together and I, I know I've that's one of those things I've seen at square dances and and picking parties and potlucks and stuff like that is that is that people get to fill those roles and um, I don't feel like we get to feel it uh, nearly as much these days um, as it maybe our grandparents used to like the hearts of big friends gotta let everybody
2: in doesn't matter who they are if they do right or where they've been everybody gets in
0: do you feel like live performance and and being out there on the road feeds back into your creative process in some way yeah. Uh, yeah. It's it's honestly, it's my whole life. Uh, actually, I've been telling
1: myself I have to reconnect with my family. I have to make uh, I have to have a home. I can't live in the van. I have to tell myself stuff like that because of how much energy I get from the road and how much uh, uh, I guess it just feels, mm. sometimes it feels like these great stories are everywhere. And I just need one more. I just need one more. You know, I'm kind of, I'm a little bit
0: addicted. I can't lie, Mike. It might actually be bad. Yeah, that's great. I want to talk about humor and its place in music, in your music. You have such a great way with a phrase and a rhyme. These great lines you come up with, your use of humor is so well placed. It's in service of the message of the song. It grabs our attention. I'm thinking of the song, Um, I Won't Be Afraid. This song is kind of an anthem, very powerful song. Yet right there in the middle of this solemn chorus, you hit us with, Lord knows I've done some dumb shit and I plan to do some more, but I won't be afraid anymore. It works so well. Talk about your use of humor as a device in your songwriting.
1: Well, in that case, I was just trying to cut the, you know, that that song could read as pretty cheesy. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, the chorus is just, I won't be afraid anymore, sung three times. And so you got to cut that. If you're going to You step into the elevator and rip that, you better say something afterwards, right? You better claim it. So yeah. uh, Lord knows I've done some dumb shit and I plan to do some more, but I won't be afraid anymore. It, you know, it felt good in my room um, when I first sang it. That one came out in just a few minutes. Uh, yeah. I think I made some
0: light changes at one point, but... I'm going to quote another part of the song because mm-hmm. I just think the whole thing is so well done that the the contrast between the humor and the, you might say cheesy message of the song, but it but it works. You say, "I will clear the beer cans from the coffee table. I will clean the ashtray on the coffee table. I will do a third thing. I am sure I am able." <laughs> and then eventually, there's a pause. And then you say, "I will love whomever I well please." So you set us up with the humor, you get our attention, you pause, and then you come through with the line, the powerful line. Um, Does that just happen, or is that a, a is that a thoughtful presentation that you came up with? One of
1: course, right? So there's this thing a clown said to me one time, and and, and I've never gotten it out of my head. This clown was from Serbia can't make this stuff up right so weird people you meet when <laughs> traveling and they said the double direction edge of balance and they said it like it was a rule that everybody knows like knife on, like knife on the right fork on the left or something i don't know and yeah. uh, i so that is like if you're going to go hard in one direction go hard back the other way okay Th- that's really what i think of that as is yeah it's intentional but also i'm just doing the thing I, that feels good, which is if I'm gonna lean all the way over, just to lean back all the other way and try not to fall down. I also just wanted to rhyme coffee table with coffee table. <laughs> I was talking to my buddy Chris Acker, another great songwriter about that, and he says that's his favorite thing, and that he looks for it when somebody rhymes the same word twice, but makes it good makes it work, you know, so it's kind of a little bit bucket list actually, that part. I will
2: clear the beer cans from the coffee table. I will clean the ashtray on the coffee table. I will do a third thing. I'm sure I'm able. I will say one nice thing before noon, before one, before two. And I will Whoever I will please I will kiss my friends upon the cheek Kiss my friends upon the cheek Repeat till I believe I don't have to be ashamed of what I love And I won't be afraid anymore I won't be afraid anymore Lord knows I've done some dumb shit and I plan to do some more, but I won't be afraid
0: anymore. I want to talk up a little bit more about your creative process, if we can. Do you have any practices you try and use to come up with ideas? Sitting in a quiet room, daily writing practice, going for a walk? Actually, you know, I was talking about needing, needing like family and and
1: needing to cultivate like some home life things. All of my chop wood, carry water, like all of my domesticities are based around uh, writing or creating, pretty much. Most of the good things I do to take care of myself would be so that I could be a worthwhile writer. I I think I have to do other stuff too to feed it now. Um, But, boy, yeah, I mean, do I take long – like, I do – I kind of do all of it, if I'm honest. Like, a long, cold shower, uh, like, a long walk, like, memorize this really difficult song, try to remember this poem, like, read the old journal, you know, free write, try to write a short story, uh, read a novel that's – read a bad novel, read what people say is a great novel, (laughs) read a weird – you know, like – so – I don't know. I think that my advice for people ask me for advice, and I just tell them like, you just got to cultivate the the mindset that this is something that you do, and everything will turn mm. into it. I, I really, I really think so. Um, I tend to be pretty productive. Um, I do write a lot of bad songs. Uh, we also just leave space. Sometimes you just
0: got to dog one out. Um, I don't abandon yeah. much. Okay, I want to cover one more song mm. as a, as an idea talk about Tulsa's last magician great song maybe a statement on the life of the artist trying to find a path right do you think the paths we have talking about talked about here today and what you learned in the process of those paths as a poet working in experimental theater which we didn't talk about but I know you have done folklore study square dance caller do you think these things have all come together and what you are doing now is the culmination like using all these past lives to bring your songs to people, get your messages heard? Or is this maybe just another part of your journey that might lead anywhere?
1: I mean, both. Um,
0: What I wanted to do
1: with Tulsa's Last Magician was write a story song where nobody ever cares about a guy's work, even though he's Mm. magical, even though he's, uh, he's good at what he does. I believe that this is not a meritocracy, and that the work is its own reward. I believe in it so strongly that I would, I would die just for the right to do it. You know, uh, that sounds excessive, but you know, I've thought about it before. I really have. Uh, usually, after I play a good show, it's like if I die in the car on the way to the motel or on the way to the to the Walmart parking lot to sleep, I'm happy. Like, take me now if you need to. Um, yeah. I want it to be the culmination. I want to bring as much of myself to people as I can um but you know if if I wake up in ten years and I'm a puppeteer, okay, that's fine. <laughs>
0: you have done some puppet work in the past, right yeah,
1: I'm not very good at it. I just like it i'm not <laughs> very, I'm, actually, I was told by a good puppeteer like uh you know, you just really struggle to make something come alive, don't you? I had to look look at my hands and be like, curse these paws of mine. (laughs) And he wandered
2: down to Tampa, blew everybody's minds, because the crowd was cheap and easy there on beer and blowing wine. Said, I wonder where my dollar went, had the flower bloom so fast. Said, I can't reveal my secret, Barely failed to ask. And the crowd all thought him funny, Got at slide of hand. He had this grand finale they refused to understand. They demanded explanation when the card was their own. And that's why Tulsa's last magician lost his faith and headed all home.
0: Okay, Willie, really, the, the reason I was able to do this format and bring up all these songs, I think, is because of the variety of the songs on the record, the, the way they sound, where they come from, what they're trying to do. But somehow, this work, this album as a whole, really is effective. It comes together so well. Were you concerned at all when you were putting this together about the cohesion of the album uh, at be given that the, the the types of the songs and the where they come from is, is a little bit varied,
1: you know, I knew that there would be people that want me to sound like I'm one band. You know, uh, I actually think mm-hmm. of it. I think of it as a little bit of a curse, right? Uh, you're always going to have the same. You know, you really want the same fiddle player for every song. Uh, I get tired of listening to the to Bob Wills fiddle player. Uh, you know, I get tired of listening to Tommy Duncan uh, eventually. You know, I was worried about it, but I haven't had to make any compromises, and I think that's actually kind of rare um, for an artist. And and now that there's some compromises on the table, when somebody is like, well, you know, you could try it this way, and I get to say, but why? I haven't had to make any compromises so far. I realize I'm kind of spoiled. Um because yeah. I know that there's some people that don't get it. Uh, that don't that and I, I'm actually okay with not being for everybody. You know, you have to be unless you really want to be pop country or, or pop music or something in, in which I mean that's fine. It's just that's just a it's a different game that I don't have much respect for, so I guess it's not fine. <laughs> so uh, yeah, I, I I want to be a, a multifoliate rose. <laughs> <laughs> mm. or you know a, a, a trash but that's that's the poetic way of putting it but really i would just say a, i want to be a, a possum's buffet uh you know um <laughs> i want blood and blood and guts and insects and and pizza boxes and so on that's fine um and i hope to do more of that i actually think that the next record might be a little bit more coherent in terms of like having a, an overall theme so there is another record on its way very much so. I've been I've been writing. Sometimes I'm getting a couple songs a week. I think it's actually written now, and we're just rehearsing it really hard, trying trying to only trying not to drive my uh, housemates too crazy by playing for eight hours a day. But yeah.
0: that's kind of what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. We look forward to that, and definitely look forward to the upcoming tour. Willie, thank you so much for your time. I would like to finish up by giving you a chance to see if you have a message for our listeners. When I listen to this whole, the whole of your record, hear what you have to say about it. And what we've said today, I hear optimism, right? Things are screwy, but we can do better. Do you want to offer any final words here?
1: Hell yeah. Uh, yeah. One of the number one causes of death in the United States, I've been thinking about is, uh, deaths of despair these days. They've been on the rise Mm -hmm. for a long time. Uh, I think that that uh we don't live in a benighted age. I don't think things were better in the past or anything. But I I do think that there is good reason um for us to be despairing, but that there is a power uh beyond right and wrong, beyond left and right, uh beyond like God and Satan. Uh that's some sort of fundamental togetherness. I think that we that we can do that in little bits of uh, little micro doses. Um, that's what I think of a concert as, It's just a, a micro dose of that, of that optimism that you're referring to. And um, for me, it's the biggest shield against that kind of despair. And the other thing I like to say is if you're using drugs, get them tested. <laughs> and if you're getting it on, get tested. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, Willie, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for your time today. Thanks
1: so much, Mike. I appreciate you.
2: I won't be afraid anymore. I won't be afraid anymore. Lord knows I've done some dumb shit and I plan to do some more. But I won't be afraid anymore.